Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, Cuphead and his pal Mugman, they like to roll the dice. By chance they came upon the devil's game, and gosh, they paid the price. Paid the price. Hey, it's me, your bruiser, King Dice, Holden McNeely. Aha! And I'm Calamaria, the mermaid lady with octopus hair you're strangely sure. attracted to. I That's mean, I guess fine. not strangely, but she also is a weird freaky snake lady whose eyeballs are eels or something. A lot of weird mm-hmm. stuff happens, but you're weirdly mm-hmm. attracted to me. Oh, I don't even know what, what's going on with that. There's two things I know about Cubhead. Fast-paced, cartoon-inspired gameplay, and people like that mermaid lady. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, changing mine. I'm not King Dice anymore. I'm that uh, cigar mini boss from the King Dice <laughs> boss rush. I'm that's right. I'm Mr. Wheezy, oh. everyone's favorite Mr. Wheezy, and uh, I am here to say I love Cuphead most every day. I love <laughs> this game so much, and only have grown more fond of this game after doing uh, the research for this episode. It is really something special. The um, just sheer amount of work that went into creating this thing. I mean, I didn't even realize, like, I was like, how do they replicate this so well without having to do, like, the old school style of hand drawing? No. Yeah. What were you going to say, Jake? That's the thing. That yeah. is the the entirety of indie games. The entirety of anything that isn't a full AAA spectacle is how do we ape a style? How do we, like, get the sense of a thing without actually having to do it because we are a small team of limited time and resources and it would be impossible to do it like a hundred percent accurately. And they, these bastards (laughs) just went ahead and did it for the vibe as their first ever game. No less. It is so insane. And, and also, you know, with great indie games, like any video game, when that perfect marriage of art and gameplay happens because the thing that we almost forget about when we talk about Cuphead because of how incredible everything looks and I was just talking about how did they surpass uh, how did they recreate this old hand-drawn style they hand-drew the whole thing but like Besides that, like then the gameplay itself is so tight and so good. And I mean, the only thing you could criticize Cuphead for is the difficulty level, right? And I get it. I mean, in a way, 
you know, unlike Souls games, where I, I I make a little bit more of a case for that standard difficulty level with Cuphead, just because I want more people to experience how beautiful this game is, I do kind of wish they had like a uber easy version of the game for people. But outside of that, this game is one of my favorite games to watch. Get speed run, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that for uh, a little later in the episode. This is one of my favorite. Uh, games to watch anyone stumble through a playthrough of. It's one of my favorite games to stream on Twitch. Personally, I've done a few playthroughs of this game on Twitch. It's just so much fun, and uh, not uh, and not just looking, but feeling. And that gameplay being what it is, and based on all of those old NES and arcade, and you know, old school, early big video games that we know and love contra things of that nature you know the uh, mega man you know they had and, and they all had that difficulty right that was inescapable they they all and and we sat down and we played through till the end still so it's not even uh, that the end of the world that it's so challenging because it's again it's that devoted to that old style and man that the combat it flow is so good at times you're like you saw me fight that clown boss Jake I mean there were some moments where I was like all right can we please can we not for a moment <laughs> fill the screen with things flying at me you know what I mean but uh, for the most part I feel like it's tough but fair the accomplishment of Cuphead, I really cannot be understated because like here, the, the, this is, this is a million things that we've talked about in the past. The idea of uh, video games in the early years, trying to replicate the aesthetics and beauty of traditional animation. uh, The ways that like the dream forever was uh, especially for cartoonists like Shigeru Miyamoto, like trying to translate the fun and dynamism of a cartoon into a video game, into something that you can interact with. Uh, the indie game boom of the 2010s and all these small teams kind of making these niche experiences uh, that they loved in their youth and deconstructing them and elevating them, like uh, Braid and Super Meat Boy kind of reinventing the platformer in a for a generation that like didn't grow up with 2D platformers. Uh, these guys came in with a need to like recreate a treasure style Genesis Gunstar Heroes Contra Hardcore Alien Soldier style run and gunner. And they decided to use 1930s animation as their art form. And they created something more popular than either of those two things. This game has sold in the millions. There's a show on Netflix. You can buy merch of it at Hot Topic. This is this insane cultural phenomenon that is bigger than the sum of its parts. And the upcoming DLC is a, one of the most hotly anticipated new game drops of the, uh, 2022. And it's been oh, yeah. years in the making. And the fact that this team of the, these brothers came together with this, with this vision and actually pulled it off harder than anybody ever could like conventional wisdom. First game you make right off the bat Keep it simple. Keep it slow. Keep it like, uh, you know, just do something like a puzzle game. Just, you know, this is your learning experience. Don't jump right into a high budget, high uh, time sink. Like learn as you go. And then as you build up steam, as you build up uh, reputation, then you can like go on to bigger and better things. Uh, But 
or even just like make your product a weird niche for like old school gamers that like maybe there's 30,000 people on Steam at best that would love to play a new Genesis style running gunner. Like all of these things should not have worked and together they (laughs) made it happen and it was an unabashed hit and one of the most popular indie games ever created. It's I this it shouldn't work like this. They broke all the fucking rules. I'm also so glad to have done this research because it completely made me no longer upset at how long this DLC has taken to come out because now <laughs> I understand the ridiculous painstaking work that goes into a single boss of Cuphead. The just sheer amount of frames of animation that go into a single boss of Cuphead. And so, you know, fuck it. Worth the wait. I'm so hyped just looking at... I'm on the uh, Cuphead wiki right now looking at the bosses and they have stills of each of the bosses in the upcoming DLC and I just cannot wait to get my hands on it. I mean, I absolutely love it. I, I just... And and that love has grown so much fonder, like I said, in the process of learning about all of this. I mean, it is it is um, and you feel that I love. thought they used some workarounds. You know, they they digitally added the color and that's it. Like the the I mean, everything you see is just so unbelievable, like the uh, and and completely hand handmade. I mean, every background is watercolor painting. Every every animation is done by hand. I mean, you just can't. I mean, the only thing that bums me out is like, I just don't know how anyone would uh, replicate this on any real level. You know, I just don't, I would hope that someone would get, or or that a Cuphead 2 could exist at some point, but A, maybe in fucking 10 years, but (laughs) B, you know, um, I don't even know. I mean, it's, would they even continue this? I mean, it's just so absurd how hard this was. (laughs) Studio MDHR is still like, you know, their site is up. They're a functioning studio and their official staff is full of animators and background painters and programmers. It is, uh, art and science. Like the team is here. And in theory, after the DLC is released, they'll move on to something new. Um, with this same group of people with this same skill set, who knows what it'll be, but you know, there's other indie game studios like this that kind of broke through with a massive crossover hit. I'm thinking of super giant games that, uh-huh. uh, you know, started with, um, Bastion, Bastion and then kind of mixed it up, even though they still kept this core, uh, art, uh, focus on art and music and voice acting. And that carried but it got through. to the point they went. They went from like, wow, they're one of the better indie studios making really cool little games to game of the year mm-hmm. super giant games studio, you know, with Hades and everything. I mean, it is so. Yeah, I, hopefully, hopefully they keep plugging away, and and now I can just sit back at least and know like, hey, it's going to take some time, and it's not going to happen tomorrow. I mean, I thought that DLC was coming. Yeah, when did it get announced? I mean, it was coming years ago. I thought, and it's just now about to come out, and. I remember the last announcement they gave an actual date, which I believe is June 29th. I was just like, finally, Jesus, what was the holdup? Well, now I understand. And uh, now you will understand uh, with this episode on Cuphead. Shall we get into it, Jake? Only if you can pronounce the main brother's last name without flubbing through it, because I have been reading this name so like every 
at least 10 times an hour all week. And I still, in my head, there's like, yeah, the McGubble Lubble brothers. <laughs> well, here, I'll take a crack at it. Cuphead is a run and gun shooter video game published by Studio MDHR. It was created by two brothers named Chad and Jared Moldenhauer and is inspired by the golden age of American animation. And all in game assets are hand drawn animation with deliberate human imperfections. Also, we didn't even mention this in our big intro the amazing Jazz Age soundtrack was recorded by a full jazz ensemble. We'll talk more about that as well. The game centers around Cuphead and his brother Mugman, who, after losing a game of, at the Devil's Casino, strikes a deal with the Lord of Darkness to return the souls of his debtors in order to pay their own debt. I mean, the plot is very inconsequential. Originally, sure. they wanted it to be a fighting tournament. Originally, they wanted to do a whole bunch of... Originally, in the like baseline vision of the game, you basically just click the icon and you were uh, put up on a kind of boss select screen, like in the old like Mega, Mega Man. Man. Yeah. 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 Mega full on Mega Man boss select, but you wouldn't obviously, there were no even platforming levels that was added after the right. hype, you know, but uh, yeah, you would just go right into the boss fight and it was only like eight boss. It was like eight bosses, I think. Yeah. Initially. Sensible eight bosses. Yeah, and that blew up as well. Um, but hey, this is another example. You know, we just did that Sonic movie episode with Sonic's teeth, gate, and everything like that. This is another good example of a, po- a positive example of intense fan reaction leading to like more and better. You know, mm. it doesn't happen all the time, but with Cuphead, I-, I was with them too. I just remember that E3 when it was first announced, that first trailer I- floored me. It was just lo- looked cooler than like anything else of the show and also was just something I never knew I needed you know because like I remember you know I Marcus would share a lot of me uh, last podcast on the left and uh, Marcus Parks would share and no dogs in space would share uh, some like bootleg DVDs he had with me of like old Fleischer cartoons and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we were like really into that, uh, you know, as a sort of stoner in your 20s thing. Oh, and God. then to see like, oh, it playing and moving and, <laughs> and like uh, something you'd be able to put in your hands and like actually, you know, make make move on the screen it is it was just like, oh, this is like everything <laughs> I've ever desired in a game. So uh, here we go. Let's talk about them. Chad and Jared. The two brothers lived amongst other siblings in their parents' home in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. That's right. They're Canadian brothers. Uh, their love of Golden Age cartoons came by happenstance. It's always Canadians, Holden, because right. they could be like, I mean, hey, let's quit our jobs and dedicate our lives to this insane passion project. It's not like we'll lose our health care. What's the worst that could happen? Jared Moldenauer said, there used to be VHS bins at grocery stores, and I think Silly Symphonies was like 99 cents. Our parents just happened to buy them. I don't know why we gravitated to it, but for some reason, they really spoke to us. We liked the silliness and vibrancy that was kind of further away from reality. They also love video games, particularly the bullet hell found in stuff like Gunstar Heroes and Contra 3 and any of those old school just filling the screen with objects that can murder you and you needing to weave around them and take down the big bad. As kids do, they made an early attempt at a game Uh, This was abandoned due to a lack of resources when they were young. Jared said, Around the early 2000s, we were working on a similar type of game, but we could never get traction. We had a skeleton of the game and knew where we wanted to go with it. Time passed, and we reached a point where we were more established in life. We could sit down and put our best into it. 
which we weren't able to do before. We were like, let's give it one last shot. It also stems from games being our primary source of entertainment. And I hear this sentiment a lot from the team. This idea of like, this is the only game we're ever going to be able to make, or mm-hmm. this is our big last shot. This is it. So we might as well give it every single thing we've got and really go for broke. And that speaks towards what Jake was saying of how like, this almost seems like it shouldn't exist. Like the fact that it's their first game, the fact that it's as good as it is, but it really comes from that mentality of like, yes, we're new to this, but yes, we will make something incredible no matter what. And uh, they pulled it off. So good on them. Even as kids, they engaged in a lot of like game design without even thinking about it. They tell a story about how one of their favorite games to play when they were kids is that Jared, who was the uh, head programmer and uh, the game mechanics designer on the game, would uh, build little castles and toy forts and Chad would try and knock them over with like little like toy guns or trebuchets and stuff. And they would test to see who could make the best castle design. They would make up little board games. They would just constantly, the way they engaged with each other was by creating these games and a state of play between them. So it's it's kind of heartwarming that like this paid off and that this stayed with them, that the way they connected with each other was through the act of game creation. And I was also surprised to see that uh, they, uh, you know, really felt the gameplay came first initially for them and was not it wasn't art art style first. Um, Jared said when it came down to choosing the visuals, we knew we wanted to do some form of traditional art style, but not necessarily hand drawn animation. There were a 100 different art styles that we tried at the time. Then we started thinking, what if it was exactly a cartoon? What would that look like? The hand-drawn animation element came into play once Chad taught himself how to animate and created a, quote, walk cycle from scratch. And as Jared put it, uh, quote, when we saw it in motion, there was no turning back. Uh, Jared said, it's such a crazy thing for your first game. We figured if we love the visuals, there's got to be an audience for it. Make the best game that we can because this could be the one and only game we ever make. So why not make exactly what we want? Uh, Just again and again, that same sentiment. Studio MDHR was founded by Chad and Jared, and the name definitely indicates this was a family affair, as they also pulled in another... I believe it's a sibling, Ryan Moldenhauer. Is Ryan Moldenhauer another sibling or uh, like a cousin? I don't know who is more siblings and who is more cousins, but there were several Moldenhauers on yeah. the team, as including, uh, I believe it was Chad's wife, Mariha uh, Moldenhauer, working as an inker and producer on the game. Yes. Um, And others who were pulled in for art were also not experienced in game design and were there as experts in this particular dead art style. And that was one of the crazy things about this whole production was, and it makes more sense now in, you know, post like crazy quarantine times, but um, they did all of this very remotely. And that was mostly because they didn't have a ton of people to choose from who could actually do these types of uh, animations. This was because this was such a long forgotten approach to animation. So one of the things about the Moldenhauer brothers that I find very fascinating is the two of them, as we discussed, is Jared and Chad. And Jared is a sh- is the shorter of the two. He is bearded. He wears glasses. And Chad, like a real Chad, is taller, <laughs> ripped, and uh, clean shaven, doesn't need glasses. Ironically enough, as they had like drifted apart, it was Chad who became the artist of the family, breaking against stereotype, working as a uh, graphic designer, uh, 
And Jared ended up working for his father's construction company. Mm. I think that is ironic. (laughs) You mentioned the earlier versions of this game that they wanted to bring in, this kind of run and gun thing. One of the earliest concepts that you can find, like, footage from YouTube, I think it's from them posting on, like, NeoGAF. Mm. Like, that's how long they've been, like, weird video game nerds, is that they were like, (laughs) hey, we got this idea on and posted, like, clips on NeoGAF, was that it would be a... uh, child's drawing it was based on a child's Mm. development as an artist with the early levels consisting of like stick figures and crude constructs and as the levels advanced they got into like their weird like edgy phase and then like their goes to art school phase and then by the end the game would be this lush graphically rich experience Mm. but the animation style in that early footage is very crude is a lot of placeholder assets even the characters are just kind of like puppet style kind of just like individual arms and legs just wiggling back and forth on the screen um the one thing that i find really funny is that they wanted this like kind of cartoon character bart simpson-esque like sneering uh mischief maker as the main character um the there's the actual way they get to the 1930s full animation is they started using uh, clips from those uh, old cartoons as placeholder graphics, either backgrounds or they would like isolate enemies from these old clips and just have them move around on the screen. And uh, the feedback that they got from family members, friends, and even NeoGAF posters was, no, that's like what the game should be. That's fascinating. That's cool. You got to do that. And again, the fact that like, Chad was literally was like, well, I don't know how to animate. I have no idea. I don't want to, uh, you know, but if if we're going to do it, we got to make it look good. So he picked yeah. up, I believe it was, uh, is it Richard Williams, the uh, animator from, uh, yeah, Richard Williams, the guy we talked about from our uh, Roger Rabbit episode, the Canadian British animator, worked in commercials for a long time, wrote the animator's toolkit. And kind of is one of the most uh, revered 2D animators in the history. Oh, the animator survival kit. Yes, I have it, actually. Yeah. He picked up that book and just started from scratch. And I think one of the things that made the 1930s vibe work is it's from an era where even the people making it were also, for lack of a better word, uh, amateurs trying to, like, discover the art form on their own. There's a lot of things that uh, in the timing in the just way that it's laid out and there's so many rules in uh animation that aren't really obeyed in those 1920s 1930s cartoons things are Uh off model keyframes snap in and out like there's just a little bit of a yeah forms distort in these funky ways that one wouldn't uh you know think to do and i think more modern times uh, yeah totally so it kind of it it's it weirdly worked that you got a team of people that had zero to little experience in this specific art style kind of picking it up and actually running with it because the flaws are part of the charm. Chad also claims that he watched up to two hours of old-timey animation a day for uh, for about six or seven months in an attempt to avoid anything being in the game that didn't fit that era and style. There are many influences cartoon-wise on the game, and pretty much every boss can be traced back to a specific tune of the era or video games. We'll talk about some video game references later. Um, of course, Fleischer Studios, probably the biggest influence. I'm going to say right now, if you're watching, if you're listening to this at work or something like that, pull them YouTube tabs up, okay? Because mm. like it is 
really fun to go and feel free to yeah pause this while while I talk about it and, and jump on some of these because uh, they're all up on YouTube and you'll see you'll be like oh shit that's the flower boss oh shit that's the ghost train like it's pretty amazing um, so yeah um, Fleischer Studios was a studio founded back in 1929 also by brothers by the way Max and Dave Fleischer it was later acquired by Paramount their featured characters include Betty Boop uh, which uh, you can see it in both the mermaid boss as well as that uh the flying boss what's her name i want to get it right something uh hilda berg hilda berg oh that's fine yeah 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 um and then also popeye the sailor of course the boat boss uh is one example of from popeye also that bird boss is from a popeye cartoon uh coco the clown as well um and coco the clown with betty boop there's an old black and white if you watch that that has a ton of reference to uh to cup that cuphead used they took a more surrealistic approach than other studios like disney and were afraid to get dark sexual squalid i'm talking about fleischer that is not cuphead as a representation of the great depression running in the background of these works so you have all the all the also this like speakeasy vibe going on you've got like you know in that king dice boss rush you've got that like old-timey casino the cigar i mentioned earlier like all that stuff i feel like comes out of this great depression era kind of prohibition era stuff BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another huge influence is actually Disney themselves, specifically the work of Ub Iwerks, who was uh, Walt Disney's close associate and friend and animation partner for decades uh, before he became the Walt Disney with his own worlds and lands and all that. Uh, Ub Iwerks created uh, Oswald the Rabbit and kind of was another innovator of the uh, rubber hose and ball style animation. One of the shorts, uh, a silly symphony called Hell's Bells, is yeah. the devil imagery and the demons and all the spooky ooky stuff in there. Pull it up. Hell's Bells is that final boss fight in yeah. like so many ways. It's pretty amazing. And and real quick too, um, going back to Fleischer, uh, Swing You Sinners is a great one to pull up on YouTube and check out. Uh, it features one of their most popular characters, Bimbo, as he tries to steal a chicken then ends up in a cemetery being haunted by ghosts for his wicked ways. And that is very much so. Uh, you'll see a ton of stuff. The Flower Boss, I believe, is in there. Things like that. And just little touches from the platforming levels and everything. Uh, by the way, Silly Symphony, which Hell's Bells is a part of, was a series of 72 musical shorts. Um, so there's a ton of source material there. Just a, a lot, a lot of stuff. It also goes without saying that uh, the King Dice Boss, who I feel like is like one of the more iconic enemies in the game. He's got his own so beat. Good. He's got a very unique boss fight, uh, almost ripped entirely from Gunstar Heroes with the randomized boss encounter 
counters and dice rolling, is very much influenced by the musician Cab Calloway. And uh, he appeared actually in a Fleischer Brothers cartoon called Minnie the Moocher, which involves yes. uh, uh, Betty Boop and Bimbo. Not, I'm not Betty. I'm not calling Betty Boop a bimbo. He's, he has she has a friend. <laughs> I'm like calling a, her a bimbo. That's right. I'm shaming the boop, everybody. <laughs> God, we got to start our side podcast called Shame in the Boop. I feel like people. <laughs> I mean, just the title alone. Yeah, yeah. Shame in the boop with fuckhead and dumb dumb. <laughs> we'll just sit around and complain about how we're constantly, you know, getting canceled and how we can't say anything anymore. But uh, uh, <laughs> the, just the 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 undertones of, uh, of vice and jazz and uh, sinners and consequences and the devil all runs through so many of these early cartoons. And for sure, zeroing in on that vibe and giving the game just a little bit of edge really helps the game. Because if it was like Mickey Mouse and Friends, like, yeah. again. Although Cuphead, totally a Mickey Mouse uh, Everybody was well. Mickey Mouse. That's the that's <laughs> what Disney fucking did is he took this entire art form and was like, no, my guy's the only guy. And then by the time it got to Snow White, he like completely yanked the rug out from all this uh, ball and hose kind of. Uh, animation was like, no, 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 you need pretty princesses singing. That's what cartoons are. Three more to check out uh, from Fleischer, Bimbo's Initiation, Snow White, and Popeye the Sailor meets Sinbad the Sailor. Uh, if you want to see, a, again, a ton of Cuphead references. Marie has said, for us, it was all about staying true to the era, to what cartoons were like in the pre-Hayes era, where the rule was the creepier, the better. That eerie feel, the surrealistic approach. We really tried to stay authentic to that era of animation for example like rubber hosing as J uh, jake just mentioned and a lot of the characters movements and bosses you'll see that there are no joints and bones and we don't constrict ourselves using physical anatomy when the character moves and there is a lot less care for structure so it lends itself to being a lot more creative in terms of what the characters and bosses are able to do oh that's so brilliant because like if you watch these old shorts out of like, there is no logic to what any character mm -hmm. is capable of at any given second. The heroes, the villains, at any point, they can just like turn into a chicken and run around, yeah. or like their head will turn into a fire Grow hydrant. gigantic or get incredibly small, like at a whim. Yeah. So that was like a gift for the game design because if you needed a character to just like fire off a project for just for the sake of game, uh, for you know, the difficulty, you're like, all right, I want. Uh, a homing attack and three like straight beams and then one bouncing attack all at once to provide this challenge for the uh, player. You can just have your character's head turn into a trash can and yes. shoot like garbage at a character. And it fits within the logic of the world. Hilda Berg's a great example of like this constantly evolving boss fight where at the very end, it's like, yeah, now I want her to fill a third of the screen as this like crescent moon monster, you know, and it just the transition that is such a joy to watch. And another thing I'll say about the difficulty, one thing I felt in my initial playthrough of the game dying a bagillion times it allows you, like, if the game were easy, I don't think I would have picked up on as much detail in my playthrough of mm -hmm. every single 
moment in this game, every single boss phase, you know, because when you're playing it over and over again, you start to notice these tiny little, just little amazing details that they added all throughout each fight. And so one thing I do appreciate about the difficulty is it forces the, the player to actually sit there and like experience this incredible animation over and over again to experience to get the full effect of it. So another, uh, just another little shout out to uh, the difficulty, even though I do still think there could be an there is an easy mode, by the way. But um, if you play on that mode, it doesn't it locks you out of the final uh, two boss fights, the King Dice boss rush and the devil fight. So it has that like dissatisfaction, I think. And, you know, a completionist sense, albeit again, though, very reminiscent of old school games, mm-hmm. right? They used to do that all the time in old school games, like easy locked you out of content. And mm-hmm. if, you know, putting in that time and playing on that higher difficulty actually gave you more games. So it's staying true to all of that. I got to say, I am usually a pro easy mode kind of guy. And I, I, I'm laying my cards out on the table here, Holden. I haven't played the game. Yeah, I've watched hours of speedruns. I've watched playthroughs. I've watched an animation analysis. I've watched GDC talks. I've watched the actual uh, cartoon that they've made of the game. Yeah, I don't feel that uh, missing. I'm like, I don't like this kind of frustrating gameplay. Yeah. I'm not going to gain anything more by like uh, doing that thing where I want to get a parry in, but then it just flings me into another projectile and I die instantly. Right. Like I right. just don't need that in my life and I'm okay with it. I'm, I have, I have consumed and appreciated it for what it is without actually going in and getting that weird adrenaline brick wall cycle going. Also, if you just want to watch a playthrough and because, I'll, and I will say a lot of times like speed runs will, you won't actually get to see the whole mm-hmm. boss fight. You know, they, they, they're so good at the game. They're so good at speed running that they cut out entire phases of boss. So if you want to see like at a speed runs, they know how to exploit the unity engine to attack parts of the boss that aren't even like on screen yet. Yeah. And getting damaged that way. Like they are it's skipping so phases like nobody's business. And I will be talking more about the speed running stuff in just a little bit, but I just wanted to throw it out there i have a pretty solid run of the game my my own self on my youtube channel um i think i do it in like two and a half hours but so it clips along but it's a little bit more of a realistic playthrough where you actually get to see every boss phase and you get to see you know but i it was back when i was run, playing that game a lot and the, like really kind of low-key obsessed with it so i i still beat it pretty quickly considering so check that out over on my hold mcneely on youtube but uh i i titled this section of my notes which no one would ever actually see but uh i felt um you know like it was very clever so i want to bring it up i titled this part of my notes in over their cuphead isn't that fun? So now it's 2015, and the brothers and team are setting out to make this awesome game. They estimate that they would need to create 15,000 individually hand-drawn frames to ship the game. Uh, and for some perspective, it took about 25 minutes of work to produce a single frame of animation. Also, Chad was adamant that they do it in the old style, even refusing new digital techniques on hand to speed up the process. Oh my God. Maria said, do you know that there are 6,000 individually drawn raindrops on uh, the boss fight Grim Matchsticks final phase that Chad wouldn't let us reuse? He was like, no, no, no. In The Little Mermaid, every 
bubble is unique. Chad actually recounted a story in which someone tried to get the art director of The Little Mermaid to use technology developed to allow for certain things to be replicated in the animation, and the art director refused, saying everything had to be hand-drawn. This story was a big inspiration to Chad's animation process, much to the chagrin of his staff. Chad said, so I kept that rule on 95% of the game. When bosses have dust effects, when their feet hit the ground or sparks and stuff come off of them, it's all original and catered towards that boss. So we kind of went crazy. <laughs> it's weird that you mentioned Grim Matchstick because uh, that character's name, besides being very much a uh, influenced by the Green Dragon uh, stage boss on Mega Man 2, uh, the name was influenced by Grim Natwick, who is an original Fleischer Brothers animator. Nice. Honestly, hearing about how inefficient they were in the early years, Chad has told a story about how he was drawing the frames and scanning them individually on like a 90s style flatbed scanner, which if you had to deal with those things back in the day, you had to like replace the paper, wait for the bar to go back and forth, like lift the lid. Like it was incredibly inefficient. And it was uh, his wife, Marie, who actually had to tell him, you know, for like a couple hundred bucks, you can just get an office scanner and you can get mm. hundreds of these done at a time and they'll all be sorted. And it's really like it will save you actual hours of your life. <laughs> yeah. The, and they did do, I will say, one bit of work around. As I mentioned, all the backgrounds were done using watercolor, which is great. Uh, the only thing that was digitally done was the coloring. Maria. Yeah, right. Uh, Maria. I t- and by the way, sometimes it says ma- just Maha or M-A-G-A-A in certain articles. So I hope that we're saying her name right. Um, Maria said, when we did our test at the beginning, we hand-painted each cell and then we colored it digitally and we did a comparison. There really was no difference. So that's why we took the easy path. Another complication lies in the animation frame rate and gameplay frame rate. And this part of the research made my eyes crossed. So animations play in 24 frames per second, which is dedicated, you know, which is um, them again being dedicated to that old school uh, 1930s animation approach. They call that animating on the ones in old school animation techniques Mm. because a uh, standard frame of film or a standard second of film is 24 individual frames going past the projector. Um, But video games, especially highly intense Twitch games like a run-in gunner, uh, ideally should be played at 60 frames per second. Yes. So the animation runs at 24 frames and the game runs at 60 frames, which I kind of understand. Marie has said, in wanting to remain as authentic as possible to how they did things in the 30s, we thought it was really important to be animating at 24 frames per second. So for every one second, there would be 24 individually drawn frames and they would just loop within that to make it 60 frames per second. And my eyes have gone crossed. And I'm yeah. so sorry, Jake, that you have what to look at me to like this. What happens to all the extra frames? There's that, <laughs> if they loop it, that's, there's, that's 60. There's like 12 extra frames. Where do those frames go? Holden, yeah, where, where do the, they go? I don't understand. <laughs> I'm scared. Don't get it, but I get it. Uh, the team for this consisted, by the way, of five full-time animators, one background artist, and one digital painter. So pretty lean. I think they've grown since then. It's actually, if you look up the credits, you can actually find the names of the animators that worked on it. People like Hana Abihana, Jake Clark. There's a few others that uh, they have their like animation reels uh, on their personal sites and on their personal social media accounts. And you can see the raw drawings that were used to create this game. And it is amazing. Um, Jake Clark, 
uh, one of the animators actually did a GDC talk in, I believe, 2017, where he goes into the animation process. And it basically boils down to uh, Jared, uh, the game designer, lays out like what the attack pattern should be and like what the actual style of the fight should be. And then it's up to the designer, I'm sorry, up to the animators to like design a unique character that they want to kind of animate from. They take inspiration from their own library of games and stuff. I believe Jake animated Cala Marie, the mermaid lady. And so he's like, I want Splash Woman from the Mega Man series. I want this random like uh, cool girl uh, boss character from one of the Gradius games. I want uh, Wonder Woman. I want Betty Boop. I want all these characters kind of combined uh, what's like a cool thing? Okay, her hair is like an octopus. Uh, Chad, the art director, goes over the designs. And before there's even like a full 3D turnaround, once just like an initial drawing is done, they're just cut loose to just like warp and wiggle and just create all these unique uh, 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 just visuals as long as the attack patterns are where they want it to be. And uh, like you said, it's uh, rough pencils, then inked, then digitally colored, and all brought together in beautiful 60 frames per second. So initially, largely due to their uh, limited resources, the game, as we mentioned, was supposed to be a boss rush with eight or nine foes to tackle. Then the game is shown off at 2015's E3 conference, and the reaction was so huge, it made the Bolden Howers rethink their game plan. Chad said, we quit our jobs, maxed out every loan possible, and partnered up with Microsoft. This allowed us to expand the team and produce a larger game. And I'm so thankful they did, because also it added those amazing platforming levels, just filled that game out so much, where it would be this amazing, like piece of work and uh you know it'd be it would be one thing but now it's like one of i think one of the best games of all time personally like i would it would probably be in my top 20 i think game favorite games of I all mean, time i feel like it's people would still discover it i feel like it'd be like an undertale situation sure. where like there'd be so little to go on that like the fans would run away with it like it would still be up there as like a fun short little indie game but it definitely wouldn't have the same cultural cash that it does now. Also, thank God, Microsoft desperately needed visually distinctive exclusives totally. around that time because, oh boy, at the, especially around like the initial Xbox One PS4 wars, like Microsoft needed a gambit. They needed something to set them apart. And so they were willing. So, of course, they were happy to push their resources in to triple the amount of bosses, to add those platforming levels. Hey, add those overworld levels, which I really do, again, fill the game out. Those overworlds are wonderful. The the three islands are great. And uh, all the little secrets in there, you know, the hidden coins and all that stuff, you know. Uh, there were four designers who focus, whose focus it was to fine-tune the gameplay elements such as hitbox size, weapon balancing, input response times, and screen movements. This expansion on the original concept also meant they would need a lot more time, and they have been more than happy to delay the game for as long as they needed if it meant their staff would be too overworked. Ma- Maria said... This is video games. Take your time. Mental health needed to be at the forefront, taking the space and time that you needed. We're like, if it takes longer for the game to come out, it takes longer. Who cares? And that's one of the 
First times I've heard of that. At the same time, they also talked about the insane amount of work hours put in. The you know there was definitely crunch. There was definitely stuff like that. But it is cool to see this kind of a quote from one of the main main people in charge of this game mm-hmm. uh, because you don't see it too often. Again, it's uh, I'm 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 call- it's it's Canadian. It's it's that Canada vibe. It's that Canada magic. Yeah, there's hey, a real no wholesomeness. need to bust your hump there, brother. Okay, like sorry, like just- you you look a little ragged. Them in interviews and stuff, there is a real wholesomeness to them, which I hope is actually real. And it does seem like it might be because they are, in fact, Canadians. By uh, saying that someone seems nice online, we have now ushered into the universe the fact right. that both of them keep uh, orphan heads in their basement. Yeah, yeah. Steal children in the night and hurt them in the dark. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I, we didn't mean to do that, but it's just <laughs> I, we I said apologize. someone seemed nice on the Internet. So they're maybe doomed. they keep the child dungeon clean. You know, <laughs> maybe they like have a cleaner come in and, you know, clean it up once a week. The music, by the way, speaking of Canadians, the music was composed by Ontario jazz musician uh, that goes by the name of Christopher Madigan and a very similar pedigree. This was also Madigan's first like big gig composing, much less composing for a video game. Madigan grew up listening to his mother play a lot of piano and was a big Billy Joel fan growing up. Still, he started out wanting to be a drummer and focused in classical percussion at first, then moved over to rock and jazz. Christopher said, I had done very, very little composition before this product. I dove into this because Chad and Jared asked me to do it. I think I was the only professional musician they knew. I was hesitant early on because this wasn't really in my comfort zone, but they persisted. Initially, the game was going to be a lot smaller, and it was a lot less intimidating. If I'd known what it was going to grow into four years ago when I started, it would have been a lot scarier. They, of course, wanted him to mimic the musical stylings of old Fleischer cartoons. However, that was not the only influences uh, that they wanted on the score. Christopher said, Some of the cartoons have big band vibes, but many of them don't. They'll have orchestral or chamber orchestra kind of thing. A lot of the music real exactly matches what's going on on screen. But Chad wanted to go into more of a 30s big band route. He thought that would be more exciting and fit what MDHR were trying to do. And as a person who loves jazz music, I mean, this is, again, not to like speak too crazy about this game in terms of my own personal favorites. One of my favorite... I'm probably going to get it on vinyl now that I'm collecting yeah. vinyl again because it's out there really good edition of the soundtrack on final i love the fucking jazz music in this Hold game it. It is what is so uh good. what is the stage with uh good music that sticks with you definitely the uh, uh rumor honey bottoms the queen bee stage has a really like haunting cool uh backing track that i absolutely love let me think april you know what to do yeah please if you could play some of that I love Hildeberg. I, I hate to keep going back to her, but I do. I do love everything about that boss fight. Another one that's a little more like cartoony um, and really reminiscent more of the old uh, Fleischer cartoons. Wally Warbles, that uh, kind of Popeye inspired mm. bird boss, uh, has a really fun kind of like hectic but goofy kind of style to Tinkly, it. Tinkly like zoop zoop piano shit. Yeah, and and of course like. 
the whole King Dice thing that Cap Calloway inspired, uh, King Dice's whole theme song, I absolutely love uh, for sure. I'm Mr. King Dice. It's so good, man. It's so, and you know what? Honestly, I was just because I was just watching um, a speed run of it and hearing this music a lot. The the vibrancy of the level complete music is really rewarding to hear. Like every time you hear that music, it just makes you feel so fucking happy. You know, April, give it to us. Knockout. So what else do I have here? Almost all of the music was recorded live by jazz and big band musicians, minus a couple of small parts. Apparently, according to Madigan, it's very hard to find a pro theremin player. (laughs) So some of the stuff was done via a MIDI device. For example, the mausoleum track, which, oh, yeah, let's hear some theremin for a second with the mausoleum track. There's actually a YouTube video called Joe Renato and the American uh, Photo Player that inspired a lot of the sound Madigan was looking for. It's a guy using an old player piano to create this carnivalistic retro sound that is so unique to the early 1900s. I think it's very that fucking clown boss that I Mm. know and love, Beppy the Clown. You can really kind of hear it in that. But I I definitely would suggest, again, that's Joe Renato and the American Photo Player. Go check that out. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, and it, it really is such a sound, just like the art style, such a sound of its time that they could only truly get organically with an actual big band orchestra. And I just am so floored by the f- what went into the soundtrack. It's like absolutely incredible. They also used old equipment and a ton of mixing to capture what they were looking for. Madigan said, Jeremy Darby, who ran the studio where we recorded uh, at the Canterbury Music Company in Toronto, used a lot of vintage mics. We didn't want to make it just sound old but reminiscent of the specific time it uh, it couldn't sound modern but it still had to be clean we spent a lot of time mixing it to get the sound just right in some ways it's definitely anachronistic but it still reflects the sound we were aiming for and even though you won't hear it unless you listen to the soundtrack as boss fights would uh, you'd always end before it happened Madigan made sure that every song had an ending and fully followed through in order to sound like a completed work this I did not notice and I I'm going to have to go back and really listen for this. They also added variations for each track that play after you die and come back to fight the boss again, which seemed to to go largely unnoticed by a lot of folks. But it's just another cool touch just to keep you from going insane, Mm. essentially. That's amazing. uh, Subtle variations that would play. There are also a lot of solos in the songs. Uh, these were recorded after they na- nailed down the main track, and the soloists largely improvised those parts. So again, that is all very unscripted. All the all the solos for the vocal parts. There's uh, only a couple, but uh, there are they are in there. Chad found a group called Shoptimus Prime. Uh, <laughs> that was the barbershop quartet they used, and Madigan actually studied the official manual for the Society for the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing 
singing in America to write all those pieces. So real nerdy music shit happening all throughout this entire uh, creation of this game. And I was very surprised to see that, uh, of course, I wasn't surprised to see that he studied Cap Calloway for the King Dice song, but uh, that he used a local actress slash singer, Alana Bridgewater, to perform the vocals. The lady doing those vocals. Yeah, apparently. I was very surprised to see that. Now, uh, I told you I was going to drop a bunch of the video game references. I think throughout the gameplay, not only are you like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that from, let's say, a Disney old Disney cartoon or an old Fleischer cartoon, for sure. That's all over the place. There's also a ton of uh, video game love happening Um all throughout this, this uh, throughout the gameplay experience. So I think the one of the more obvious ones, the Ribby and Croak's boss mm-hmm. fight, uh, the two frogs that you play, usually one of the first bosses you play, uh, that has them uh, in a red and white karate gi in reference to Ken and Ryu from Street they Fighter. They even do their like hype up animations from like Alpha, yeah. I believe. Hell yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Grim Matchstick Dragon is quite similar in design to the Mega Man 2 Dragon boss fight, the one that like follows you mm-hmm. and you have to platform oh, for a while. That fucker that's near the end of the game. Goopy Legrand is definitely reminiscent of the slimes from Dragon Quest, but also the King Slime boss in Terraria, which is the same shape and color, the giant blue uh, slime. The Mad Scientist final phase of the Doctor Calls robot fight, probably one of my probably more most challenging, that might be my still most troublesome boss fight for me, especially that last part that just goes on forever where he is uh, absolutely doing a nod to Dr. Robotnik and his little hover machine, as well as uh, Mega Man's Dr. Wily, of mm-hmm. course. Mad Scientists love a little pod. Yeah, it was even, even King Koopa loves a little pod. You're not a video game villain unless you fly around in a little pod. I was also uh, watching uh, uh, the developers talking over uh, gameplay recently, which I'll get into a little bit more in a second. And they were offhanded. One of them was like they were watching the Captain Briny Beard, that uh, pirate mm-hmm. level uh, boss fight. And one of them offhand was like, oh, yeah, that specific like attack is totally pulled from Metal Slug. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was just offhanded. So, I mean, there are so many more references that I didn't pull for this research that just all throughout the game. And again, that absolute dedication and love to that specific era of gameplay and that specific era of animation. Just so much fun to pick apart uh, every little detail of. Um, do you have anything in terms of the uh, game itself before I get into the speed running aspect of Cuphead? Just that uh, the actual protagonists themselves was a laborious process as 
they kind of just had this placeholder with the exact size and capabilities. They had, they knew they wanted a little snarky guy uh, shooting in eight directions, but they didn't quite know what form he was going to take. There's uh, supposedly for a while he was going to be a Japanese style Kappa. Uh, supposedly they had gone through over a hundred individual designs before they settled on the Cuphead uh, thing. There was an old Silly Symphonies that took place in a China shop that had a lot of like plates and silverware and cup-based characters that they found inspiration from. There was even a Japanese propaganda cartoon in which like uh, Mickey Mouse storms like the Japanese mainland and gets defeated that uh, has a character with a very similar Cuphead design uh, in it that has been referenced a lot. Um, Mugman was also an interesting uh, creative process because they needed something that was visually distinct and wouldn't use up too many assets. And they actually got inspiration from Bimbo, the little dog that was part of Betty Boop's canon, because in early cartoons, he has a giant nose that over time gets reduced. Uh, Also around the same time as Betty Boop becomes less of a dog woman and more of just a hot (laughs) flapper girl. If you didn't know this, Betty Boop in her original design is like, a dog woman. That's why she has like a weird shaped head. She's supposed to be like a bulldog. Anyway, interesting. noticing that like, oh, wow, this same character can look completely different just by giving him a big bulbous nose. Uh, so that's how they settled on Mugman's design. Uh, even uh, a lot of the characters you see in the overworld, like uh, the little axe guy, the little phonograph guy, all of those were actually early designs for the uh, for the main protagonist that got scrapped and they got reused later as little NPCs. So speedrunning is, uh, like I said, this is one of my favorite games to watch, get speedrun attempts. It is just absolutely fantastic. Um, and I would definitely say, uh, you know... Yeah, just try to like throw on any kind of run of this game. Any try to look up anybody who regularly speed runs this game and just sit back and enjoy the attempts. Uh, and again, I it's actually like one of the few games that I like to even not just look up the actual world records of, but actually just sit and watch someone play for an afternoon trying mm-hmm. to beat it. Particularly the Mexican runner, but I'll get into it. The current speed run under the legacy category on regular difficulty that's pre patch. There's a one point one patch, and then there's another. But that that legacy category on regular difficulty all bosses is 23 minutes and 16 seconds by SBD Wolf. And I mentioned this a little bit before, but uh, what I meant uh, when I said I watched developer commentary over some gameplay, there's this great, great commentary by Jared and Chad um, of them watching this world record speed run. And just get... I love watching developers of game of games like watch their own game get fucking destroyed in a speed run and them just being like, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a ton of that. You know, they're like, holy shit. It's a nice mix of them going like, yeah, we knew you could do that, but we had to get the game out. And like, yeah, oh, that, that didn't even occur to us. Yeah. Like one thing they put in, which was an old exploit from, I think maybe, um, is it, if it's not Contra, it's something else that the, you'll, every time you watch a speed run, you'll see them. Uh, constantly switching back and forth between the two weapon types. You can have two different weapon types going into a boss fight, right? And you get to select those two based on different weapons that you purchase from the shop. And so you'll see 
a constant just spewing out of these two different weapon types because they're both uh, firing really fast with their thumb on the right, on you know, on the square button or whatever, or the depending on what your square button on a PlayStation controller. And they're also hitting R1 like crazy, which switches the two types. Apparently, that's an old exploit that speedrunners would use on those uh, old school games. And you just see this like ridiculous just spewing output of different damage. ammo types. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. And and they dump so much damage onto these poor characters that like it's you don't they don't even get to most of their phases. Because a lot of phases like there's certain ones like the ghost train boss fight um, doesn't have cumulative damage like ever, because it has all it ha- it's essentially a boss fight of like four different mini bosses so there's no cumulative damage there because they reset the HP when a new mini mm-hmm. boss appears but for most of the fights it's cumulative and they just have three different phases usually right so they'll just skip mm-hmm. phases they'll just skip at least one if not two um, it's kind of ridiculous. Another standout runner for this game, I cannot recommend enough. I love the Mexican runner. Uh, this guy I'd been watching for so long. Um, you know, I follow his YouTube channel, and I miss that. You know, you have to move on at some point, and he's really more known for retro gaming. But I miss his long afternoons of trying of of Cuphead speedrun attempts. That it was so fun to watch. Uh, he was more known, like I said, for retro gaming runs. I did not know this about him, and I feel like we could almost do an entire episode on him especially the nes mania thing he did he uh went through and it was like his mom was sick and i think was was dealing with a bunch of medical issues and it was also it was partially like him trying to raise money to help support her and his fans were like what, what uh, jokingly were like why don't you just like beat every nes game that exists and he was like okay so he literally went through and finished every single licensed nes game ever released over Twitch stream, 714 games. He had to like create his own win states for some of them. One of the games he had to learn how to play piano. <laughs> so it was a piano teacher. Um, it's kind of incredible to watch. And like some were like nigh impossible and he had yeah. to go through and like learn how to beat them using save states in order to like beat it raw on stream. It, Jesus. It was, I went down a whole rabbit hole with him today. <laughs> I was like, all right, I got to get back to Cuphead shit. It doesn't hurt that he looks like Pedro Pascal and is quite chill. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No mamas. Uh, he normally doesn't play a lot of newer games, but fans pointed him towards uh, Cuphead as it resembled those games he loves to speedrun like Contra. And he has a great run on Summer Games Done Quick. If you'd like to hear a, a really good speedrunner commentary over a speedrun of the game, check that out on YouTube. Uh, Summer Games Done Quick, Mexican Runner, uh, Cuphead. And uh, he also... Um, uh, he also got special artwork created for him by Studio MDHR, where they essentially made him into a Cuphead character Aww. that he could use. Yeah, it's really cool. Like that that whole community and the Cuphead dev team are like so awesome as uh, you know together and so supportive. He also created this is one of the things I loved watching him try to attempt. He created the hater percent category, which was one that was so ridiculous as to shut up all the haters. The requirements are on. A clean file earned 200% completion with all S and P ranks. So S ranks you get on the boss fights for essentially doing everything perfect. You can't get hit. You have to parry three times. You have to do it under a certain amount of time limit. Um, and maybe there's a couple more stipulations. But to get the S rank, you have to do all this stuff. The P rank is pacifist rank. 
every single platformer, you can actually get through all of them without hitting a single enemy or killing a single enemy. Mm -hmm. And you have to do that in order to get a P rank on that level. I think I've maybe P ranked one platforming level. It is very tricky. It's very, very hard to do. It feels like the way to do it is through a lot of these exploits where you got to like take damage at very specific times and like Uh bring yourself through obstacles. Uh I don't think I've ever seen a pure pacifist run. I've only seen people use exploits to get through difficult parts. Well, the Mexican runner did it because part of the stipulation was he had to get all S and P ranks using only the P shooter for a weapon that is the uh, initial weapon that you get, as well as the machine gun during playing levels, and you can't use the bomb. Um, P-shooter slash machine gun EXs are allowed, but no supers are allowed. Absolutely none, uh, except for the plane nuke. That that one that one is allowed, apparently. Um, charms are not allowed. Also, to make less haters complain, there's some special rules, like beating every King Dice miniboss in one go while getting S rank, saving the barbershop quartet guy, don't use door glitch at Funhouse Frazzle stage. Essentially, don't use some glitch exploits that uh, haters might call out as being like, well, that's cheating. Um, and you can't even leave the Kettle House tutorial or the plane tutorial without doing them. Uh, there's a way you can just go to the menu and exit to map and immediately leave the tutorial stages. But no, no. In the hater percent run, you have to do every single tutorial along with all those other things. It's absolutely ridiculous. And his world record on that category is an hour and four minutes, I believe, which is absolutely insane. I mean, literally, you have to play the game perfectly with the least amount of resources possible. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. But I super love uh, all the speedrun stuff. Definitely check that stuff out. And definitely check out... It was an IGN video of Jared and Chad talking over that um, world record speedrun done by SBD Wolf. 23 minutes and 16 seconds is absolutely absurd <laughs> for a speedrun of that game. It's kind of amazing to see. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I've got is a very brief thing on the Cuphead show. Jake, do you have anything else about the game itself? There was a meme when a games journalist named Dean Takahashi famously uh, had trouble getting past the opening tutorial section just because he like it was on the floor of a convention and he just like did not see the alert that was like, hey, to get past this higher thing, you got to jump then dash. And he's just stuck there trying to jump over this obstacle for two minutes straight. And it became a massive sticking point for the uh, get good scrub uh, section of the Internet. My, I just, I have sympathy for this guy. I know I've like boofed it on stage or just fucked up in a way in front of everybody where normally it wouldn't be this way, but it did help the Cuphead kind of become this bastion of the like difficulty as a mark of honor. It's just part of the culture. Dean, if you're listening to this, you got through it, buddy. The point is you got through it. It took you a little extra, but you did it. And I'm proud of you. The show, yeah, I guess we can talk about the show. It's a uh, animated series not done with traditional, uh, you know, on the ones twenty four frames animation. But the show uh, developer is a guy named Dave Wasson, mm-hmm. who worked on the incredible Mickey Mouse shorts that yes. have been coming out over the recent years, which did a similar thing by adapting these classic nineteen thirties animated characters into a more modern animation style while keeping a lot of that original character. I watched a bunch of episodes and it's competent. It's very like it's, you know, there's good slapstick, there's good reactions, there's good comedy timing, but it very much kind of 
uh, takes away a lot of uh, the character and the nerd uh, kind of vibes that kept the original Cuphead game so compelling for me. Uh, a lot of the video game references have been washed over. A lot of the references to gambling, tobacco, and drinking have all been removed. Right. It's I can't say it's bad, but it just genuinely, like, if you want to put it in front of your kids and have them go, yay, yeah. and then when they're old enough, be like, hey, remember that cartoon? It's based on this game and let them have fun with it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I but but kids do seem to really enjoy it. It it does seem to I see some like dads out there on Facebook being like, My kids already finished it. It came out earlier today. <laughs> like this is great. This is great for, for that, I think. Netflix has been getting a lot of flack for its handling of animation, uh incredibly tight deadlines, underpaying uh staff, uh refusing to renew shows uh in because that would require contract negotiations. And the Cuphead show did get flack because Netflix came in with uh, the announcement of a big season two release, which will coincide with the DLC's release. And the original staff is like, hey, this is all part of a season one episode order. They just cut the premiere in half so they could have two seasons on the service. We didn't get paid more. Our contracts weren't renewed. This is actually kind of shady. And, you know, uh, ask your coworkers how much they earn. Don't trust your bosses. Uh, we're in this together. That's all I got to <laughs> say. Yeah. And all I got to say really at this point is delicious last course. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, and I'd only figured it out because somebody else said it on a different podcast, that stands for DLC. Delicious last course stands for DLC. I love telling Jake that for the first time just yesterday. Blew really my fun. fucking bean wide open. <laughs> Uh, that and that bean blow, bro. That <laughs> made me upset too, because I was like, "Turn the camera off if your bean's gonna blow ah, like that." My bean. Oh my god, it's hideous! He did it again, you <laughs> bastard. I told you to turn your ca camera off, and your bean's gonna blow. Uh, the DLC features a new island and playable character Miss Chalice, who has actually actually has new moves as well. Um, there are five new bosses. I don't know if there's. I'm guessing there's platforming levels. I didn't see that per se. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume there's one or two, but maybe not. Regardless, they look awesome. There's one boss in there apparently that has more frames of animation than any like boss fight ever. <laughs> so Good. It's gonna be crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot wait for this stuff. I, I forget is this episode gonna be out already? But regardless, if it is already out, I'm already playing it, and I'm so fucking excited for this DLC. I don't know if I've ever besides like Souls games DLCs, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a DLC to come out. Uh, it is it is just the best. Like the idea that I'm days away from new Cuphead shit is crazy to me. I, I mean, I was really obsessed with this game. I, I just could not get over how, how great it was. And, and now again, that I have learned all of this about the background of it and just the sheer amount of frames of animation, the sheer amount of work that went into the music, the everything, it, it, it just makes sense why I gravitate to this thing so, so much. And, uh, you know, really love like, a lot of little elements too. like if I'm stuck in a boss, sometimes I'm not using the right weapon type, you know, sometimes I'm not. And sometimes I need to think about it in like a slightly different way. Um, 
Shout outs to a couple more bosses. Uh, the Werner Vermin boss, uh, which is a very Tom and Jerry inspired mm. boss fight with the rat and the, the mouse and the cat, rather, is fantastic. Jimmy the Great, the genie boss fight, the kind of Aladdin genie inspired boss fight. One of my favorite backgrounds ever for uh, of, of all the bosses has that really cool rotating like pyramid maze. That was a technique in a couple of uh, old 1930s cartoons is they would use physical models as the backgrounds and then just put photograph the cell animation on top of that. Hell yeah. And so to capture that, yeah, the pyramid is an actual model that they filmed and rotated. I believe the castle in the background of Grim Matchstick is also a, th- a uh, physical mm. model. Mm-hmm. Just like a, a nice little stylistic change of pace and an homage to the thing they're trying to make an homage to. Very cool stuff. And I do think that the King Dice boss rush fight, just go look it up if you haven't seen it before. It is one of the, it is the coolest boss rush I've ever seen in a game. Like the whole way it is designed with the uh, parrying the dice to uh, depend on what boss you end up fighting, the free spaces thing. I mean, that is straight out of Gunstar Heroes. Literally one of the final bosses in Gunstar Heroes is a board game filled with many bosses that you then have to attack a dice in the middle of the screen to advance to the next one. But still, like, every one of those mini-boss designs, every single, you know, the the whole finale of King Dice, like, the whole ge- the whole casino setup of it is so fucking cool. I could not get over it. And also was like, God damn, I can't believe this is this hard. I can't believe I beat it, honestly. Like, sometimes I look back and I'm like, wow, it's really... And now I, like, love to play through it. But, like, that fight, the devil fight, is uh, one of the more challenging ones I've ever done in a game. Uh, you know, of course, we already mentioned that robot fight, uh, heavily inspired by Iron Giant, by the way. Shout out to Iron Giant. Um, that one is one of the more challenging boss fights, uh, for sure. Yeah, man. Baroness Von Bon Bon is such a crazy fight. Again, I love how they're constantly incorporating like these like mini bossings. Like Baroness Von Bon Bon, there's a kind of a randomizer for what you're gonna get. But a the very beginning, you, a candy corn, yeah. all these little guys. Come yeah, at you yeah. get shot out like a little mini boss. You have to fight that, and that happens three times, and then the cake starts fucking running after you and trying to eat you. Uh, <laughs> you That's have to straight run out of Swing it. You Sinners. There's uh, yes. a whole segment where a barn comes to life, and in almost the same way, sprouts arms. And and just starts crawling after our main character. And special shout out too to all the death animations. They are all so charming and great. I love the King Dice one, especially. Uh, but they're every single one, they all their eyes are spinning around in their head, and you know, they're all like and just the the dynamic phases of stuff. A uh, shout out to that Wally Warbles fight, the bird, the giant Popeye bird, for such a wonderful display of phases, right? <laughs> you have the bird in the birdhouse at first, then you have the tiny baby bird with that the eggs floating around. Out of an egg, yeah, yeah. But then the best part is uh the bird you defeated in the fir- the big bird that you defeated in the first phase comes back on a stretcher with these <laughs> nurse birds and you have to like kill it in the stretcher using the new ammo type this like bomb that you drop on it and then when you defeat it the nurse birds that were initially taking care of it immediately pull out salt and pepper shakers and start <laughs> tossing them on the seasoning. Yeah, seasoning the bird it's so fucking good man and it's like you only see that for like a second, you know, and it's just but such to cool. To get that shit. one second, you probably had to play that boss fight for an hour straight. So it's just over all and the over sweeter. again. And no shout outs to Beppy the Clown. I hate you, Beppy. Good. You're too hard. Uh, no, I love you. I love Beppy the Clown. I love it all. This is an anti clown podcast. I want everybody to know <laughs> this. Boo clowns. <laughs> 
In all oh, forms. Right. Well, I think we got to get out of here. I think that's it. Our episode on Cuphead. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did putting it all together. What a fun one. I mean, just cannot, cannot say enough kind things about this game. And seemingly the people behind it, other than the child dungeon aspect of their whole bowling hour thing. We don't know, but allegedly, it's probable. probable. Very likely at worst. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us. If you'd like to support us further, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got bonus episodes every single week, and uh, that's at the $5 level. At the $15 level, you get that, and you can join us every Sunday for our Sunday study session. I got through almost the first two islands yeah, it was of Cuphead. Yeah, very impressive. It was a ton of fun. Peppy was the only one I couldn't take down in that, in that playthrough, and it still haunts me to this day. But yes, uh, check us out on that. We're always checking out research, uh, you know, essentially looking at the thing we are going to record an episode about that week. This week, uh, we're going to watch a little known film called Independence Day. Oh, it's an independent film, probably. That's why they call Uh. it that. Yes, of course. Very small. Just like Cuphead. Also, check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. Love seeing Whizbrew fam pop in on that. Jake! Hey, what up? It's me. I do also streams. Go to youtube.com slash puppet Jared or twitch.tv slash puppet Jared. Uh, the flagship stream is the cartoon dumpster. Thursday nights, we watch the weirdest, baddest, most jaw droppingly uh, forgotten cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I love it when people come in and are like, hey, I know we're here for a cartoon thing, but let me tell you why the last episode of Whisper was good. It really just makes me feel like an actual person. <laughs> I don't feel like a person most of the time, but when a stranger praises me on the internet, I feel like a person. So please help me be a person. <laughs> Did that sound too desperate? Yes, absolutely. Hey, Shit. I'm just trying to move right past without talking <laughs> about it. Now you just made me talk about it. Oh, hey, everybody. <laughs> Always remember. <laughs> Always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. I'm a person, goddammit. I'm a person. All right, please. We got to. Oh, my God, Jake. It's so. Oh, he's blasting his bean again. (laughs) Witness my bean. (laughs) It's a mean machine. (laughs) All right. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.